Welcome back to another episode of the Sounder at Heart podcast. I am Jeremiah O'Shan. I'm Mark Kastner. This is the Sounder at Heart podcast. Joined by my co-host, Mickey Turner. Casey's the other voice that you hear. Tim Foss. Of course, Ari Lillian Wall. This has been an extremely weird podcast. Getting dragged all day. Just the bottom line is they, they don't have an answer to that. There's a reason they got signed to first team contracts. And if you're not going to give them respect for that, then have fun losing again next Very year. special guest, Brian Spencer, head coach of the Seattle Sounders. You know who he is. Brian how are you doing? I'd start off, Jeremiah, by saying one thing, and this isn't my quote. I have to attribute this to Tom Dutra. He always says, tough times don't last, tough people do. Welcome into another episode of the Sound at Heart podcast. I am your host, Mark Kastner. Today I'm joined by uh, Susie Rance, Tim Foss, and Mickey Turner, and we are going to talk about the Sounders' performance in the MLS's back tournament, which, uh, depending on your perspective, came to a disappointing end or just sort of a meh end. So, uh, Susie, since you're since this is your first time on the show, we'll, we'll have you go first. What was your kind of overall impression with uh, maybe maybe the tournament, maybe the Sounders' uh, performance? Um, kind of let you. F- freestyle it sure um i would say to to respond to your meh or disappointing um i think i went into this tournament not with with zero expectations like not a ton of excitement to be honest um just because of the state of our country um and i think it's just really hard for a team to show what what they're worth in a tournament format in a bubble in general so with that, I wouldn't say I'm like shocked or disappointed. Uh, obviously, the performance on the field was not to the standard that I would have liked to see the Sounders perform. But I also think um, I'm not personally taking too much from what we saw. Yeah, I think I think uh, at the show that we recorded um, right before the tournament that that Tim was on, uh, we we kind of talked about how difficult it was to draw any sort of conclusions, even if they played super well. Uh, do you remember that conversation, Tim? Yeah. And I, I think my feelings after the Sounders involvement had ended are still very much the same that best case scenario, a team might be able to, you know, maybe try out some new tactics and, um, I think one of the things I was really hoping for was to see like, could the young players that they brought along cut it at the MLS level, even if, you know, the level is a little bit lower or games are weirder than usual for MLS, like the speed is still going to be there. And I thought that would have been valuable, but ultimately just, I know even me as a regular person trying to do things during this pandemic and with, you know, effectively a, social uprising happening very difficult just to do anything um the like mental and emotional weight of all of that is difficult for any person to bear so i can't imagine then trying to perform as an elite athlete and professional soccer player who you know soccer like any sport is a very mentally and physically um, taxing activity uh, and so I think you know there was never going to be too much to be able to take from this I think it seemed like Schmetzer and the Sounders really tried to take it pretty seriously rather than treating it as more of an experimental thing and um, as injuries sort of stacked up and results went against them just yeah, ended up being difficult to watch. Yeah, I think I think like the team definitely took it seriously, and um, there was there was that moment after the the Vancouver press conference where um, Brian Spencer made that abundantly clear, didn't he, Mickey? <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, and obviously he took a little umbrage with our. Uh, our coverage, at our least, editorial uh, staff. Yeah, yes, <laughs> maybe the uh, the headline writers, uh, to be more precise. Yeah, um, I would say for for me, um, I think I was on that show too, and I was excited in as much as I was looking forward to seeing soccer return. 
mm -hmm. um, domestic soccer. Um, obviously, the NWSL had, had already been back, and we'd all been watching that. Um, and so that was nice, and it was nice to have additional soccer. Uh, as it pertains to the Sounders specifically, uh, I think your, your title for the podcast is, is apt uh, for kind of my uh, reaction as the tournament went on. Um, they never really got untracked, uh, Vancouver aside. Uh, they looked, you know, fine-ish in the uh, in the San Jose game. Uh, they were, you know, they weren't they were competitive against Chicago, and frankly, never should have lost that game. Um, as we found out, Chicago just crashed out of the tournament. Um, and so, as we went along, um, you know, some of the players never got on track, and we'll talk about that. I'm sure uh, Ladero and Ruiz Diaz. Uh, you know, are probably the prime culprits for, you know, they didn't play poorly per se, but they just didn't have what we were are accustomed to seeing from them. Um, and so, yeah. And once you got past the uh, group stage where the uh, games didn't count for the standings, it was kind of tough to be overly uh, excited about winning a tournament that sure they tried to dress it up with some prize money in the champions league spot, but ultimately didn't really have, doesn't really have any effect on the regular season uh, such that it will be when we come back. So, you know, and then you look at the game against LAFC again, we'll talk about that more specifically. And they were just never in that game. And except for maybe, you know, five to 10 minutes. And when you just kind of walk away from that after it, you're just kind of like, eh, well, uh, I, you know, they're coming home. Uh, no one got sick and <laughs> we'll see what happens. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, since the LAFC game was the most the most recent one, uh, I think we should we you know we should definitely talk about that and the and the perform. I thought the performance was very interesting in that game. It was also very bad. Uh, those those things are both true, um, and I I found myself surprised at how um, how angry or upset I got with that result. It just didn't seem like the team, like the team didn't do anything that um, they're known to do, especially considering, you know, they, they had that, uh, you know, Susie, they had that performance against Vancouver. That was like, kind of like pretty convincing, like, Oh yeah, this is, this is that Sounders team. And then they show up against LAFC and just got completely waxed. Yeah. I think what, um, was most surprising to me is LAFC was not surprising in how they played their game. Um, they pressed hard. I don't think any of us would have been shocked at that. Um, and the Sounders just had absolutely no way to deal with that whatsoever. Um, as if, if you were watching as a observer, you would have thought that they were surprised by that game plan. Um, I do, I do kind of think that the Vancouver performance perhaps wasn't the best indicator because Vancouver left so many Sounders players just wide open and with a lot of space that it kind of like, at least for me, tricked me into a sense that that's probably how the LAFC game could have gone. Um, but just shocking all around in their inability to break a press whatsoever. I was a little surprised that LAFC pressed as much as they did just based on what we saw in the uh, Western Conference final. Um, you know, sure, they were, you know, their usual kind of, you know, active selves, but I did not recall seeing them press to the extent that they did um, in this game. And as Susie, as you said, the Sounders just had no ability to play through that pressure or, or, or over that pressure, maybe change the tactics and just go long ball um, and just try to, you know, get things reset, reset at midfield. Um, the game that kind of reminds me of uh, is the Toronto MLS Cup game. Uh, that they lost, uh, where, yeah, 2017, where they were simply played off the field. Uh, I don't think Toronto pressed them like that, but they just, again, the Sounders just had no answers for whatever Toronto was doing and had no ability to to adjust. So that's the and that's the kind of game that I I was thinking about as I was watching the game uh, progress. Yeah, I think. Oh, you go ahead, Mark. Oh, I was just gonna say, I think. One of the biggest differences in that game regarding the press was Mark Anthony K was fully fit and he wasn't in the Western Conference final. Yeah. Go ahead, Tim. Um, well, I think, you know, LA certainly pressed a lot and they pressed hard, but outside of, you know, that first sort of 
10 minutes where both teams it really seemed were giving it everything and playing at a super high energy level. Once the game, I mean, particularly after LA got that penalty goal, um, they didn't let up, but they also didn't really have to press super aggressively. Um, They just pressed high as the Sounders really like the two ways that this, the talent on the Sounders team gives them to break a press really is to play it quickly in possession, particularly with uh, Christian Roldan and Nico Ladero in the midfield. They both move well and are pretty safe on the ball when they move quickly, but um, the other option would be to play particularly to the wings into space. Uh, Jordan Morris and Hanwal Abwana both, that is their strength is getting isolated against a fullback and running at them with the ball. Uh, and while they tried to get opportunities to that, that, to do that, they really didn't do that enough, I think. And instead they tried to play a pretty slow possession game, largely with the ball on the feet of the defenders and LA could take as much time as they wanted, basically getting, to those players to put pressure and once they put pressure on them they just couldn't do anything with it to really break that press or if they did they got it to the midfield and then the midfielders got swarmed and yeah even Nico Ladero got his pocket picked a few times and it's just you're never going to be able to do anything if you can't move the ball faster than that yeah I thought an interesting aspect of that, uh, I don't know, uh, I, at least I know Mickey was listening to the press conference because he was there in the Zoom meeting with me. But uh, <laughs> uh, something that I thought was interesting that Brian Spencer said after the game is that they, that the coaching staff may have um, got the, got the I, think, I think the exact terminology Spencer used was he got the team too hyped up or too wound up for for that match and I, I wonder I wonder about that dichotomy between LAFC came out flat in the Western Conference final uh, the Sounders did not and then that kind of switched between the two teams for this game I by no means think they're equal at all I just think it's the next time that these two teams played and what I was impressed with by LAFC was actually how calm they were in terms of their game plan. Yeah. I mean, I was, I was reflecting on a lot of the Sounders inability to break the press seemed like you said it just like they seemed frantic, which is just not what's normal, especially in the midfield. They're usually quite calm and there were multiple moments. They, they were getting four LAFC players running after them and I feel like on any different day, Nico Ladero, Christian Roland could easily find the open, especially like Tim said on the wings, um, like could find that either dribble out of it or find those options and they just weren't. So I, that is an interesting kind of observation where too hyped can also mean too frantic and that can, can perhaps be the result of it. Yeah, I, I thought it was interesting that, that – uh, you know, Bob Bradley in, in all of his kind of post-game comments uh, definitely downplayed the the idea that this was a, a revenge game, but the players certainly didn't, inclu- including Latif Blessing. There's, there was two clips that LAFC put out on their social, and then, like, his post-game press conference was, like, riddled with these comments that they really wanted to beat the Sounders. And um, I don't I'm, – I'm – positive that the Sounders did want to win that game, but I just don't know if they had the, um, the motivation to, um, and I know last time we questioned the team's motivations, we got lit up. So we got to be careful what, (laughs) what we say here, but what do you think Mickey? Uh, I mean, I didn't, you know, there were points in the game where it was on a kind of a knife's edge um, where the Sounders, you know, ultimately they did get blown out, but, you know, I remember when there was a three-on-one. I think LA was up 
two nothing at that point and just had uh, knew who I think saved the day. Um, and the, the remainder of the team just was kind of lollygagging and, and, you know, just kind of jogging. And it just looked like, where's the intensity? Uh, why are, you know, what, what's going on here? Uh, they got back into the game shortly thereafter. Um, but, you know, as far as what one team being more hyped than the other, I mean, I thought, you know, the Sounders started okay. Um, you know, LAFC was pressing them um, for sure, and they got uh, the reward, uh, you know, with the penalty kick. But uh, I, you know, I didn't – I don't think it was an issue of intensity. It's just they just were for some reason unable to play um, or execute their tactics, and they weren't able to adjust for some reason or another. And I think that was more the issue than intensity per se. But, you know, at, at some point, obviously, they, you know, the heads kind of started to go down and, you know, they kind of started slumping. Um, but, you know, I don't think that has anything to do with them necessarily being wound up or LS, LAFC being uh, the team that really wanted to stick it to the Sounders. Um, but, you know, there's, there's something we said for revenge, um, even if Bradley's downplaying that to some degree. Yeah, and I think, like, you know, we've been having this conversation for – for a little bit now and we've sort of ignored the elephant in the room that kind of what was breaking down for the Sounders all all evening against LAFC and to an extent certainly against Chicago and kind of the weakness of the tournament has been central defense for the Sounders some of that's been because probably their first choice center back has been only played 60 or so minutes in uh, Yamar Gomez and Andrade but um, I think we should probably move the conversation into talking about Xavier Ariaga's performance and then just sort of kind of how that trickled out into the whole team. So who, who wants to jump on that first? <laughs> well, I, I guess uh, I'll start because I did ask Schmetzer about that at the press, at the press conference. Yeah, um, I think it's and, fair to share what he had to say. Yeah, and uh, yeah, just we'll start with that. And he, his, his response when I asked about how, why, what was the issue with the central defense that was a lot, you know, just, you know, kind of just broke down. And he said that it was basically just a team effort or lack thereof uh, that was responsible for, for the, the breakdowns in defense. And that's obviously some, to some degree, Schmetzer protecting his guys. He's not going to call somebody out unless there's a demonstrable lack of effort on their part. I, I remember he did that for Leardom one one time last year, yeah. uh, when he said that a sub, his his removal from a game was was tactical, and that was obviously because he didn't believe that Leardom was putting in uh, the effort that was needed. Um, so for this, I mean, you know, there's not there's nothing to suggest that Ariaga or O'Neill were 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 not putting in the effort. They just were not very good and that is especially concerning when it comes to Ariaga because he has been not good in two games uh this year uh or in this tournament and Chicago being the other one where he was responsible for the two goals uh and you know I'll I'll, I'll let Tim kind of talk about you know the, the specifics of his performance but I just because you know again he wasn't it wasn't a lack of effort but he he was just late to tackles and made some bad decisions and, you know, again, you give up a penalty and then you nutmeg yourself uh, to give up a goal when the team, when the Sounders were actually in on the cusp of coming back and tying the game. And that was just an absolute killer. And then against, like I said, Chicago, uh, you know, he gives up, he's responsible for the two goals. And we asked Smetzer after that press, after that game, uh, what his thoughts were. And he said, oh, Ariaga's starting. He'll be in the next game. And then he, you know, he, he played okay, I guess, against Vancouver before he got uh, taken out with the uh, concussion issues. But it's just uh, uh, obviously a major concern. There's no other way to put it uh, with his performance so far this year. Uh, and, you know, there is going to be a, an increasing call for some change to be made. Uh, of course, they are very limited at center back. Uh, they do not have the depth uh, that they had last year, um, and especially with Chad Marshall retiring. So it's, it's, it's a tough situation, but and there's no really way to sugarcoat the performance. It was, it was not good. Yeah, I – you know, it's tough. I think the the penalty was obviously a penalty. It was a really terrible tackle that didn't need to happen. It came way too late um, and is sort of, you know, one of the big criticisms of Ariaga in his time with the Sounders, as limited as it may be up to this point, um, is that he goes into pretty rash challenges. He can make that sort of mistake. So, 
as frustrating as it was to see that penalty, it wasn't really super surprising at this point. Um, but the, you know, the things that he does really well are he's a really good dribbler. He's really good on the ball. He plays really great passes in particular line breaking passes that are the kinds of things that would have been really valuable trying to break a press and, you know, open up space for the midfielders and the wingers. Um, and him trying to do those things that ought to be his strengths is where the second goal that he gave up came from him trying to control a ball in the box, sort of unnecessarily going for a cutback under pressure when he maybe could have or should have just tried to clear it or, you know, go for a pass instead. He tried for something tricky and got the ball cut under his feet and that immediately turned into a goal. Um, it's, it's been an issue during this tournament. Uh, he was responsible for two goals directly in this game, two goals against Chicago. And even going back to the first two games of the, of the MLS season, he was, you know, if not solely, he was a contributing factor to the two goals that the Sounders gave up in their opening two games. Um, he unnecessarily and unsuccessfully stepped to put pressure on, uh, I think, Zella Ryan in the Columbus game, which he failed to get pressure on him. He got a cross off and that resulted in a Giassi Zardes goal. Uh, he turned with a player who ultimately scored the goal for Chicago and then just didn't track the oh. runner. Oh, yes. Um, yeah. It's it's certainly not been good enough, especially not for a player that they paid a transfer fee for. Um, I, As bad as his performance has been in this tournament in particular, I, for all of the reasons listed sort of at the top of the show, I have a hard time holding a player's performance against them uh, in this tournament, but he presumably has some version of a season after this that I think at this point kind of needs to be his prove it period. Um, otherwise for the amount that they've invested in him for, you know, the promise that was bringing Javi in as Javi in as like the Chad Marshall replacement effectively for the future. Uh, he certainly hasn't lived up to any of that at this point. Yeah. And just to briefly say, and then, yeah, Susie, I know you want to talk. I just let's all remember his, his yellow card issues last year, uh, you know, as dubious as some of those may have been, um, you know, he, you know, had a number of games where he was, he was sent off uh, for multiple yellow cards. I think it was four in two games. Yeah. Back to back. Yeah. Back to back. And yeah, that's just been you know, something that he's, he's not been able to overcome at this point. I agree with everything you all just said. And I also, um, I'm not going to defend him whatsoever, but I do think, LAFC was much bigger like the problem in that game was so much bigger than him um, he made some really silly defensive mistakes that should be you've all talked about them already but nobody on the team across the defensive line in the midfield could break the press and when you've got that much pressure coming at you non-stop you're gonna make a mistake it's just gonna happen um, and he made some bad ones, <laughs> um, uh, but I think um, Schmetzer, I know, said it a little bit in his um, post-game press conference, too. This was on all, all of us. He tried to deflect, I think, a little bit. Um, with that all said, I think it's definitely a pattern that everyone should be concerned about, um, though I wouldn't take this one game as an example. Yeah, and uh, Shane O'Neill obviously had the uh, – the deflected goal, which arguably he could have been sent off for if, if that ball goes deflected wide. And Spenson comes in and take goes back to center back, gets his pocket picked, um, and gives up a goal to make it four to one. So to Susie's point, uh, this was not a good performance by by pretty much anyone. Yeah, and I think I think it's kind of I think Tim alluded to it. It's tough to make your conclusions based just off of this tournament there there are certainly some underlying issues there that need to be addressed but uh, the signing of Ariaga, if we kind of take <clears throat> excuse me if we take 
him specifically out of it, the type of center back he is was a statement of an intent of a statement of intent by the team in terms of how they wanted to play. And even further than that, the two biggest off off season signings this this previous offseason, no, it wasn't Shane O'Neill, although he's the one who's ended up playing the most minutes. It was uh Gomez Andrade and uh Jao Paulo who didn't play at all in this tournament. And I think it's it's certainly fair that if um, to see how Ariaga does with the, with one of those players next to him and one of those players in front of him, because I guarantee you, we still probably would have lost against LAFC because they're still the best best team in MLS even without Carlos Vela playing, um, which feels wild to say. But the team plays completely differently with two of the most valuable players on the team, right? Yeah. I mean, I think that's if those two players, or even if one of those players had been available, I think the Sounders would have been able to play a version of the possession game that they clearly wanted to more effectively. Um, I think particularly having both of those players really simplifies the job of everyone around them. Um, Javi and Gomez Andrade both are very good passers. If they can, you know, maybe have to do a little bit less passing because Joao Paulo can do more passing and uh, Gustav Svensson can be allowed to do more cleanup work. And then occasionally when he has lots of space, switch the field, uh, with a big pass. Um, yeah, I think having those players around makes everyone's job easier. And it certainly seems like part of Ariaga's problem is often trying to do too much uh, and then not doing those things well enough. Um, so yeah, it's definitely tough to judge him when, you know, the two players who would most affect his role in the team are not available. This is also just like in no way um, defending any of the Sounders' performance, but man, it looked hot and humid. I yeah, and the like, game and the game kicked off at eleven p.m. Yeah, like yeah, <laughs> it's in it's in Orlando. It's July. Yeah. I sure wouldn't want to be playing there. <laughs> yeah, and I think like the the sense I'm getting throughout this conversation is, I don't think we're that upset with the Sounders' performance in this tournament. I thought it would be kind of a fun, quirky thing, sort of a, a bit of trivia in the future. Like, oh, hey, remember when the Sounders won the MLS's back tournament in the middle of a global pandemic? But that didn't end up happening. And I think one, if not a bit, if not a bigger reason than the way the back line played throughout the tournament, another reason why they went home early was was the play from their designated players in. Nicholas Ladero and Raul Rui Diaz. Yeah, yeah. I think I, I wrote uh, from one of the recaps that Ladero had, a, you know, he didn't have a very good tournament, I think it's fair to say. Um, part of that was obviously because he was off for the first part of the year. Um, and then right as he's ready to come back, the pandemic happens and he's, and he's sitting. So he hadn't played in eight months, essentially. Um, and there's just going to be some rust uh, for any player coming back from that type of injury unless you're well, uh, well brewing apparently um and so yeah that explains a part of it but again he is a designated player so it's fair to expect that he should come back especially in the fourth game because he played the previous three so he at that point he should be reasonably back um to his normal self and he just wasn't uh, really throughout this tournament and Raul Ruiz Diaz uh you know had a pretty rough game against uh, San Jose didn't really get any uh any play um, and any, any shots and missed a miss, missed a couple of shots that uh, he normally would have converted. And then in this game, uh, he just didn't really have much in the way of opportunities. Again, I wouldn't pin this game on him um, by any stretch of the imagination as, as Susie said, and Spencer said, this was just kind of a team breakdown, but yeah, they just, uh, neither of them had uh, good tournaments. And, you know, if you're, you know, if you're relying on those guys to, to, to get you through and they don't have good games or good tournaments, then, yeah, you see what happens. Yeah, and I th- like 
it just feels important to caveat everything. Like all of us have basically our points have been, it hasn't been great, but does it really matter? I don't know. <laughs> it just kind of feels like that's kind of the, uh, what's kind of been happening throughout this conversation. Yeah. I mean, they did get the four points, uh, for yeah. the regular season standings. So, um, you know, one, one, and one's not terrible. Um, I don't know how the, how MLS is going to constitute their new season, their reports out there, um, as far as what they're going to do, but they did get some, some points, some results out of this thing. Yeah. And that's, that's eight points through five regular season games. And if you look at it like that, that's a pretty decent pace in MLS, especially considering the Sounders do, uh, have a, have a, have a lingering narrative that they start their season slow, but that's almost, that's what is it? Just over a point and a half a game through five games, which if you consider three of them were basically halfway around the globe, (laughs) uh, it's pretty good. Uh, Somebody who did have a good tournament um, and received a lot of attention from, from the pundits was Jordan Morris. Uh, how impressed were you with his performances, Susie? Um, yeah, I mean, I think it was it's it's been so great to see Jordan Morris embrace the winger role, and I think we continue to see that. Obviously, I think I would have liked to see him get more involved last game, um, but again, not on one person. Um, uh, I think the fact that I I feel like I actually said before last year if Jordan Morris gets, you know, more than five assists, that's I'm going to like really be excited about that more than his goal scoring, because it means he's impacting the team even, even more. And to see him get goals and assists this tournament was, was fun. And I think that um, the team still really needs to find out to figure out that balance of like Jordan Morris and Raul Ruiz are such different players and how you get the best out of both of them at the same time. Um, But, but I, um, was excited to see Jordan um, really confident. Yeah, I think, you know, it sort of seems like ideally the way that you guess the get the best out of the two of them is that Jordan really leans into that sort of provider role um, and does what he attempted to do when he got the opportunities throughout the tournament and particularly in the game against LA was, you know, take on the other teams right back use his strength and speed to get around them, turn the corner and play balls into the six yard box where Raul Rui Diaz is an absolute monster to have to defend. Just he finds any nook and cranny it seems like, and has an ability to, you know, like his goal against Vancouver impossibly get two touches and a goal. Um, And I think in the game against LA, either Jordan had a tough time turning the corner, um, credit to their right back for doing about as much as you can expect someone to do against Jordan, or when Jordan was able to, you know, find that little bit of space on the end line and play a ball in, either his teammates were a little bit farther behind him and there wasn't really anyone there, or LA's defense did a good job of getting back and uh, defending that space pretty well. Um, but I think, you know, it seems like that should be the clear way to do that. Um, I think they need to find a little bit more balance on the right side to take a little bit of the pressure off. Um, and Kandwal Bona did a pretty good job throughout this tournament, but it's still, I think you can sell out on that side to really double and triple team Jordan Morris still and, I think they need to figure out a way to make that not as much the case to really open him up. Yeah, I thought that Morris uh, was was fantastic all tournament and was pedestrian against LAFC, which means that he was the best player on the uh, on the field who started, I should say, because uh, we'll, we'll probably talk about uh, Joven Jones and Will Bruin. Um, and it's just a testament to how much he's developed over the course of his time with the Sounders. Um, 
We all remember when he signed the extension. Uh, a lot of the pundits were criticizing the Sounders for uh, you know uh, extending him, uh, even though his contract in the first couple of years wasn't even uh, a massive increase. Um, obviously, now that looks like a, a genius move by uh, a larger way, um, and it's it's good to see him really uh, you know shut the naysayers up because he's been you know over the last eighteen months essentially uh, has been you know one of the best players in the league. Yeah, it's I. I'll let this pundit remain anonymous until he wants to put this uh, take into the public himself. But I was talking to uh, somebody during the tournament, and uh, he was telling me that Jordan Morris is the best non-Carlos Vela winger in the league. Um, I probably think that's Diego Rossi, <laughs> who plays for the same team as. Uh, Carlos Vela or Brian Rodriguez based on the performance against the Sounders. But I think that is high praise considering like Mickey said, the criticism the Sounders got for um, extending Jordan Morris while he was injured. Um, I was going to say to credit to maybe, maybe they didn't intend to do this, but LAFC was so focused on their left side, the Sounders defensive right side. And I don't mm. know if that's because they wanted to keep the ball away from Jordan Morris or not, but if they thought that it was a very smart decision because they were so heavy on um, the right uh, Sounders right side of defense that he just really couldn't get the ball. Yeah. And, and I think that has a lot to do with where Diego, Diego Rossi plays. Yeah. He plays on the left yeah. and they bought this new fullback uh, Palacios Palacios or something like that, who was great against the Sounders. Yeah. Um, so I'm sure that was by design and also, like the Sounders weren't doing anything to stop them. So um, is there, is there anything else from, from the MLS's back tournament that uh, kind of stuck out to anybody in terms of like maybe an, another team's play or kind of a interesting re- wrinkle from, um, from the Sounders? Uh, I, th- I thought it was just, it was just good to see them give the kids a decent run out. Uh, Shin Hopio got uh, some decent, uh, some playing time, which was obviously a bit surprising because they had signed him like, I think two weeks before uh, the tournament started. Um, he started off a little rough, uh, but had some good moments uh, throughout the tournament. Um, and then, you know, uh, Double Air and Atencio got a little bit of, of run as well. So that was nice just to see them. And, you know, they all look good against LAFC, probably better than the starters. Uh, I'd say pretty much everyone who came off the bench uh, uh, put in a better shift uh, for the time they were out there. I, was, I, I think we should give Jovan Jones a shout out because he was incredible in his, in his short run in, against LAFC. They couldn't, they couldn't do anything to really stop him. And he almost single-handedly got them back into the game, which they had no business being in. Um, and so that was, that's a really good sign because I think a lot of us were concerned about his performance last year when he came back, he just seemed to take a long time to get, you know, integrated, integrated with the team and, a lot of people were worried. Well, maybe he's he's got his money and he's just he's just happy now. But this was just a fantastic performance from him. So if they've got him uh, able to line up with uh, Morris at left back, if 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 for some reason they want to do that with new instead of Newhu, uh, you just you got to like what you see there because you know that was just fantastic. I don't have a reflection more than what we've said about um, the Sounders. I think one thing that I was surprised by across all of um, the tournament play is like people were aggro and aggressive in like a way that I didn't expect. And I don't know if that's just because they have retired, but I was not expecting players to be as like reckless in some of their challenges and I, I don't know. That shocked me about the tournament. Maybe I just forgot what MLS it looks like. <laughs> I don't know. But um, I was I was like um, surprised at how many red card worthy or close challenges there were this tournament. Yeah, that was a that was a point I actually wanted to make, Susie. So I'm glad you brought it up. Um, I I do think to the Sounders' credit, where we've obviously kind of beat the dead horse about effort and and kind of maybe lack of desire, but I think their composure deserves some sort of praise because you have teams like Atlanta United who crashed out of the tournament with two red cards in their last game. Uh, RSL had two, had two red cards. Um, Kyle Beckerman kicked a ball at a ref. Um, 
one of their center backs kind of did a just a bush league over the top tackle on um, Jackson Yule, I think. Um, and and se- several other teams have have kind of had players throw tenter tantrums and and whatnot. Um, and I to compare them to the Sounders, who just sort of like met out of the tournament. <laughs> I think that that's sort of a, it kind of feels funny to praise that, but I, I think it's worth worth bringing up. Yeah, they've never. Yeah. I mean, they've never been that type, kind of team, which again has been to their credit. I know yeah. uh, people give uh, uh, gave Ozzy Alonso a lot of stick for for his uh, play, but uh, you know aside, that aside, they've just never been that type, type of team, and that's you know a testament to good coaching and good discipline. Uh, red card wedding aside. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it kind of seems like a, a point that Schmetzer seems to make that his this team is not nasty um they don't do a ton of like professional fouls even when that would be beneficial um it yeah it just isn't in the team's dna at this point that was a huge point they made in the last regular season game against lafc when christian roldan got that red card for um hitting Etuesta in the face accidentally uh there was there was contact with a hand to a face but it definitely wasn't a hit <laughs> um, and that red card ended up getting rescinded but i i remember that post game really specifically because everybody in the organization from pr people to brian smetzer to christian Rubon himself when he did media availability made a point to emphasize that that's just not the type of team they are and uh, i think that that shows in in terms of how they lost gracefully, which um, is a skill that I think maybe we can all learn. Um, probably before we go, we should, we should talk. We'll certainly have more episodes as, as news progresses on this, but um, we should probably get initial reactions on the, the recent reporting. And I, I believe it was first reported in the, in the athletic um, that MLS is planning on returning to a regular season game uh, season with uh, with with 18, 18 games for each team, uh, twenty one games for FC Dallas and Nashville because um, those those pesky COVID taste, uh, cases kicked them out. <laughs> but um, the the initial report says it's going to be nine home games, nine nine away games uh, in conference uh, with with games happening in empty stadiums um at least for now and looking to start in the uh the last week of august um mickey am i missing any sort of key elements there uh no that's the basic uh reporting um and we'll you know we'll see if that actually happens i mean the bubble you know credit to mls the bubble was uh effective and and held uh they had no positive cases uh once they got into the bubble i know there was some you know issues lingering stuff yeah yeah but i i I think it's fair to say that they had no positive cases um in the bubble i think that's a a reasonable um thing to give them credit for so the question now is obviously once you get these teams back out and in their home habitats with you know sure there's going to be uh restrictions and rules but it's it, it Difficult to get, uh, you know, 30 players to all uh, potentially buy in, even though the Sounders had good luck or good discipline doing that. That has not happened across the league. You've seen in Major League Baseball, that has not been something that they've been able to get a handle on. And then you've got, uh, obviously, NHL and NFL coming in uh, as well. But that aside, um, yeah, I think it that is about the best they're going to be able to do. And, if, and they're going to certainly give it a go. Um, yeah, I think if – we know anything about professional sports they're going to they're going to try to play if they can play and so we should all just you know that we should all prepare for that and be ready to uh to see games in that format whether they're able to complete the 18 game season and playoffs is obviously another issue um but we're gonna see it that's we're gonna see it yeah i think uh to your point it's certainly not gone especially well for major league baseball um 
probably not a great idea to have seemingly a whole team go out to celebrate together. Um, <laughs> maybe that's bad. I, I don't know. Um, but the USL has been going now for, I think, two or three weeks. And, you know, as much as they're sadly and bizarrely is sort of like a margin for error, they seem to still be within what they've deemed accessible as yeah they've only had as far to uh, as... postpone one game yeah they've uh are we to tacoma defiance sorry let me be specific <laughs> yeah yeah tacoma only had to postpone one game because uh i believe reno yeah. 1868 uh had a single positive um but on the whole it seems like the league is doing a fairly good job even if you know some of the optics of stadiums with fans not wearing masks is bad and gross um it seems like they've done a pretty good job i would imagine you know at a higher professional level they might be able to clamp down on some of that a little bit more um i think maybe one of the benefits for MLS and USL is that compared to other professional leagues, players just aren't getting as much money. Their life experience is not the same as like a celebrity NFL player. Um, They are a little bit more used to being a regular person. I think they may already be more accustomed to some of the standard precautions that the rest of us are taking as far as you know, having to go and do their grocery shopping so they wear a mask when they go out and uh, those sorts of things. Um, Not going yeah. to the champagne room every weekend. <laughs> yeah. I do think that whatever MLS decides, and I know this is stating the obvious, but they obviously have to have super clear protocols for what what is, like, what is spread to them and what do they do? Like, is it one case? Is it what? Because... Major League Baseball is a perfect example of not having a clear strategy and having to backtrack and figure it out on the fly. So hopefully they take the time to really figure that stuff out. Um, putting aside my feelings about whether they should continue to play or not. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think we all sort of are. I mean, I get the feeling that we're all kind of in agreement about whether or not they should. <laughs> just is sort of going to happen like Mickey said yeah. and I and I think Major League Soccer was dangerous, dangerously close to having to cancel this tournament I think we're kind of forgetting like how big of a deal that FC Dallas and Nashville thing was happening that, that week or two at the beginning of the bubble um, so hopefully I, I think the thing that we can hope for is that they've learned their lessons and they can put in these protocols but uh, yeah, I don't know if anybody wants to add anything to that. Um, yeah, not really on the protocol. I, I, I have talked to the Sounders. I'm going to write up a story on the season ticket thing, um, which uh, you know essentially has them put it, you know, pressing the reset button on yeah. this year from a fan standpoint and from a financial standpoint. Really, um, they they were satisfied with how their precautions went. Uh, their protocols uh, were enforced uh, in the run up. Uh, to leaving for MLS is back. They had the one positive test, the player recovered, and apparently there were no other issues. Um, so I think they'll be able to take those best practices and hopefully uh, scale them to their uh, each MLS market is able to do that. Hopefully teams like Nashville and Dallas have learned their lessons to the extent they were just the victims of some bad luck or poor decision-making. Uh, we don't, we never really got kind of the, uh, the answer to why all those positive tests, uh, you know, uh, popped up, but, you know, hopefully at this point they've gotten uh, the message on that and each team uh, is able to enforce some discipline and it's going to take discipline for them to be able to get this season um, season done because, you know, as we've seen, the cases just can pop back up uh, like that. Uh, when you don't have, when you have people just not, you know, adhering to social distancing, wearing masks and, and things like that. So, uh, you know, they deserve credit for how they operate the tournament from a, uh, an infection standpoint, and hopefully they'll be able to move it into the local markets. Yeah. I think the, the, maybe one other thing that I would add is just a, you know, a hopeful thought for 
you know, Dallas and Nashville, to the extent that they did have positive COVID cases that, um, you know, those player recoveries are full recoveries. Uh, At this point, we know that that recovery process can be much longer and really not a full recovery for people. Um, So, Mm. you know, hopefully those players are able to reach a point where they can play soccer professionally at a high level again. Um, I think that is, seems like a thing that maybe goes unconsidered as yeah, we there's talk a, about players getting COVID. There's a Boston Red Sox player, and I've, I think he's a pitcher, and I'm forgetting his name because I don't necessarily follow baseball very closely, but he was in the uh, kind of doing the rounds today with an interview that um, he's had some – he got COVID kind of early, like early on in the pandemic and he's still having some heart conditions. And I know um, it's not like it's killed 150,000 Americans and it's a disaster <laughs> at, a, at a government level. And we're just a soccer podcast and a blog and it's kind of hard to talk about these things. <laughs> like what do you do with things that are going on? And I, that's, that was, things go- that was going through my head throughout this whole tournament. And like, I had a real hard time at the beginning, but something that I kind of was surprised by myself was like how, I think we all love the Sounders and we all kind of want things to, we want some sem- semblance of normalcy, but um, we can't ignore what's happening around us. I don't. Yeah. I think um, it's an important and, I'm sure we want to wrap up. It's an important discussion about, too, the mental health of players. Um, We heard a lot in the um, NWSL tournament, players being super open about how hard Mm -hmm. it was mentally to be in a bubble while there's all this stuff going on. And they actually, all the teams provided mental health support to the players, which was something they had never had before. And um, love to see that continue. And hopefully they have it in MLS as well, because I feel like mental health issues are even harder to talk about with men. Yeah. Um, so I think um, that's a really important thing that I'd like to see continue for all sports athletes that are playing right now. Yeah. You want to talk a little bit more about, I like the NWSL bubble was exceptional. And uh, was it Bethany Balser that had the kind of, mental health episode that yeah she exited a game and um was a first everyone sort of assumed it was an asthma attack because it's hot and they're playing a lot of soccer but she posted after the fact that she was having difficulty breathing which caused her to have a panic attack and she was very open about how the tournament has been her hardest mental health challenge she's been through and you have to remember that we're asking athletes to be at their physical best when they may be mentally and not at their best um, and the toll that that has on them as people Um, and it was I just so appreciated her honesty it made me think a lot more about even me covering the players like how am I approaching this and remembering that we're all going through the same thing and they're being put on a pedestal on a globe or a national stage um, and being asked to be at their absolute best. And that's really hard. Yeah. And I think even um, former Saturday, Tyler Miller, who's the now goalkeeper with Minnesota United is, has been pretty vocal about how difficult this mental health issue is with just normal life, but also on top of trying to perform on an athlete level. And I'm, sure that we can record an entire podcast talking just about that but um i think i think that's probably a good place to end it and <laughs> um i want to thank uh i want to thank Susie. i want to thank mickey and tim for talking with me for about an hour about uh soccer during a global pandemic and, and we'll be back with another episode shortly this has been the sound of heart podcast thanks